Okay. Hi, friends. So we are on Steve's channel, but I'm going to be doing the intro. So I think I said that right. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Page Chewing. Uh, today is the first day. I think we have all three of the hosts together, which is very exciting. And it's a very special event because we have Mr. Ryan Camille with us. <laughs> Uh, Ryan, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and uh, how you yeah, found yourself yeah, I'm, here? I'm a little bit sick right now, which is fantastic. But uh, outside of being sick, I also write books. Um, my series, uh, my brain is gone. My brain, my English just deserts me sometimes. But my debut series is the Ben the Broken series, which is a classic epic fantasy. We currently have, I only realized four books out on that now, even though two main books, two novellas, and I'm writing the fifth book, which is the third book. And I'll do a diagram eventually. But um, yeah, so that's generally me. I'm not that interesting otherwise. <laughs> they could disagree, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I only said that so you'd say something nice. I also see the beautiful covers in the background. You have displayed oh, yeah. said beside, series. Beside right? R2-D2. Yes. And they my, and are my stunning. Favorite, which is R2D3. So. Yeah. Ready for my own version of the Glorious 12th. And uh, Vicky Guy is here. And our friend Mark Timoney. Hey, hey Mark. Mark. Hello. Mark? Oh, I'm so bad at Irish. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm so bad. Really? I got, we do like a grading system. So like, you know, um, secondary school to high school, like, you know, like normal A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever. And they're broken down into, into numeric grades after that. So like A1, A2, B1, B2, B3, highest grade being A1, lowest, well, passing being D3. And then we have broken into like an honors. So like you're really, really damn good at an ordinary level. So like, you know, you're just playing with crayons basically. And then like, I've been learning Irish since I was four. And I got a D3 in ordinary level Irish and an A2 in higher level French. And I'm still shit at French. This is my life. I I took French in middle school. Couldn't even couldn't even tell you two words in French at this point. Like, like I don't I, I think like it's one of those things kind of like I had no Spanish when I went to South America, but like I learned a good bit and I don't know it off the top of my head, but if I took some time to go through it. I'd actually sat down, I'd probably be okay. But right now, no. Nuh-uh. Well, French is the second language of Canada where I live. And mm. I work for the government. And you're supposed to at least try and attempt if you're not officially bilingual. If you don't speak least... French with that beard, I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I stopped at grade 11 or 12 French. And I, in my job, I try and do the whole bilingual green thing hello bonjour but that's pretty well the extent of my french except for a few broken broken scraps <laughs> but that's okay it's all good i'm almost you retired so you don't say like a do a little moose that's what we used to say all the time and, and we thought we were really cool and in in like high, the equivalent of the high school we said it all the time which means you are a grapefruit and <laughs> there's no reason i kind of like just, that insult but it's, yeah it's kind of like it's kind of like when you're when you're like 16 and a dipshit, <laughs> what is your go-to? You know what I'm gonna need, Ryan. I'm gonna need you to write the insult. You're such a grapefruit, or shut up, you grapefruit, into your series now. Like I'm requiring yes. that you do yes. that at some point. If grapefruits do, exist in that, I have um, I have a, I have I have a line in my my new book that I'm writing now where 
one guy is talking to another guy and um he's trying to say that he doesn't do something it's like oh there's a bear shit in the woods the guy's like yeah yeah no he does it's like well, well then and then the inner monologue is like you know he had a fair idea that made no sense at all but he was committed to it so we just had to go forward anyway and that's the kind of humor that did I you, put in. So great. Did you do work. a self-insert? You just did a self-insert. <laughs> I do that all the time. Awesome. All the time. There's, there's, I pick like two or three different characters that can take my sense of humor because if you put it in everyone, then mm. it's, it's the humor of the book. Whereas mm. there's two or three characters in, and they're far enough apart that it's, it's okay that I kind of put that sense of humor in just because it's fun. It's really fun to write. Mm. Mm. Well, you know, it comes to languages too. Like the first words you're probably going to, you, you're probably going to know other than hello, goodbye, are probably curse words that you really shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Like most languages, mm-hmm. like <laughs> mm-hmm. the interesting thing about Japanese is they don't they have very few actual curse words. They have mm. bad words and they, they have just ways them all to... out, do they? No, they they're just roundabout. Like they have a phrase <laughs> that means not I, we can curse, right, Steve? Yeah, go for it. Okay, 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 just, just permission just granted. Yeah. <laughs> they, they have a phrase where they t- call you the whole shit, not a piece of shit. You're just the whole thing. So it's not necessarily a curse word, but it's very not nice. So the language kind of works around. I like it. So, yeah. I like it. So it's, it's actually kind of worse in a way. You're like, like yeah. Right, right. Yeah, like you're yeah, the whole, so. you're not just a little tiny piece. You're the whole thing. You're the whole thing. Like, you're the, the whole, whole thing. Bit. You know? That's but I think that works. I think that works. Like, even calling someone a dickhead never made any sense to me. There are people out there that like dickheads. But I don't know anyone. We used to call people bags of dicks. You're such a bag yeah, of dicks. Yeah, I've heard of that. It's like nobody likes a bag of them. Because, like, one, what are you going to do with them all? And, like, two, it's, it's a Dicks. You'd be surprised, right? People might find uses for that, right? So, <laughs> okay, PL. We know, we know, we know. PL has a has an erotica pen name, anyway. <laughs> I didn't say me. I said people. <laughs> My friend might have use for it. Right? Yeah. PL, PL Stewart writing his pen fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that joke just took me back to middle school. Oh, god. Is, yeah, that, I'm still there. So. Yeah. Hey, so how do you Steve, spell how's, how's this? How's this? Uh, this uh, page doing going so far? Perfect. Yeah. Well, well, you, you knew it was going downhill with this combination. Not to mention, uh, you know, whiskey. Yeah. So well, someone told uh, me that yeah. you know you have a sore throat and you're sick, so you should drink whiskey at 11 a.m. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. Green tea is you... almost whiskey, so. so. No, it's can't... not even close. Yeah. You yeah. know what? Hush, Ryan. No, you can't make no. me. <laughs> I, I actually you, literally can't so i'll get I'm my sorry mom. steve go ahead <laughs> no it's okay i was just gonna ask uh what ryan's drinking uh. this is quail illa um which is an isle scotch which is absolutely amazing it is so nice sarah would if you're ever sick drink it <laughs> no if you're ever not sick, i do drink make it. myself uh hot toddies when i'm sick. Oh, yeah. those actually really do yeah. work yeah, hot toddies yeah. are awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. What are you you know, you can do? make them without the whiskey, but, you know, why would you? This has been uh, calling my name for... Ah. Yeah. That looks like about as much whiskey as PL has in his glass right now. It is. Yeah, I should just <laughs> yeah. drink out the bottle. Yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't need to bring the bottle because the bottle Seriously, is I've never seen a glass of whiskey that large. <laughs> like, I will drink... I could drink a lot of the bottle, but in small doses in the glass. 
You're, not, you're Irish, man. Like, what? You're just pouring a Pepsi I, there. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm stunned. Like, I just envision you doing these pub crawls in Ireland. And, you see, you've got to be you got to be smart about spirits. Like, if you drink all of that, like, really fast as you go, you'll get drunk pretty quickly. Whereas I can drink the whole bottle over the night in smaller increments. You it's obviously haven't seen me drink. It's practice. My it's practice. You obviously practice. haven't seen me drink. <laughs> oh, I will. I will. So, someday. <laughs> Definitely. One of those conventions or something. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I... I am very excited. I'm not going to say dates or anything yet, but I am going to be going back to the States mm. for not to move, but to visit. So I'm very excited to be on everyone's time zone at some point. I don't except know. For, except for Ryan's. Ryan's on no one's time zone. Ryan, Ryan. Ryan and I are closer now than when I go back. But <laughs> Look, as long as you have an escape route ready on the way back, that's all that matters. As long as you can get in and back out again. <laughs> As based on the guidelines right now, Japan has no choice to let me back in. But to let me back in, if I leave. So. No, I, I don't mean Japan getting you back in. I mean America letting you back out. I, letting letting out. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the hard part. Uh, good evening. Hello. Hey, how are you? Alicia or Alicia? I never know. I'm going. I'm going to default to Alicia. <laughs> we'll to clarify that with. Oh. with uh, yeah. Shout to man. Shout out to how you doing? Uh, Chris and Iris is probably your prayers. And whiskey. I believe that needed context. Um, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm, I'm sick, Mark, and that's the excuse that I'm using. So I was told that it's it's a cure all. Fun fact in Ireland, um, decades and decades and decades ago, and they probably did it in other countries too, but when babies were teething, they would dip their soothers into whiskey mm-hmm. and then put it in their mouth. And it would help to numb along the teeth, and they'd use it with like clove oil was an old thing as well. But but whiskey was used pretty commonly until they realized it was child abuse. Slightly concerning, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard in the West Indies same thing, rum as opposed to whiskey. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the rum rum was the cure all for everything, man. You got a cut, oh, got disinfected. You know, rum yeah. still is the cure all for everything. <laughs> Just put it out there. That's true. So. Uh... Uh, Alicia says, I don't know how I'm still alive. My grandmother gave me so many hot toddies as a kid. <laughs> Good times. Oh, man. Okay. So I got to, I have to ask at least a serious question in this whole thing while we're all yeah. still. Yeah. People, people are watching it and they're like, they're like, I thought this was about books. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, not with this group. Not all. Yeah. Time. No, no, exactly. <laughs> All right, so 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 right. So um, congratulations, obviously, first of all, on all the success and the success. <laughs> just, I, I'm sure a lot of people want to know how the heck are you doing it, man? How are you, you know, winning stabbies, selling forty thousand books in under two years, and pumping out four or five books in under two? Like, how are you? How are you doing all this stuff, man? Best selling orange tags on Amazon and all the accolades. Uh, Every major uh, big booktuber now is. You'll see them holding up a Ryan Cahill book, you know, or it's on their shelf. You can see in the background. So I do know how it's going on. Keep stumbling and keep aiming yourself in the right way. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's always a tough question because I think a lot of people ask stuff like that. And I think one of the biggest, not a fallacy, but one of the biggest things is people like always want a silver bullet to stuff. They're always like, I did a whole video with Library of the Viking 
And at the very end of it, and it was about self-publishing, at the very end, um, Johan kind of summarized everything. And he was saying, oh, to summarize, you know, there is no one thing. It's a, it's a, an amalgamation of all these different pieces of the puzzle. And, and all the messages I got afterwards were, if you could tell me one thing you did. And I was like, as it, it's kind of pointless to do that because it's very hard. A lot of, I think a lot of publishing is intangible. And it's like my number one word when it comes to this stuff, when it comes to marketing, when it comes to everything, it's all intangible. It's all stuff you do, not knowing what result you'll get, but just hoping. So it's very hard to kind of put one thing and say, oh, I did this. Like I did a physical art, art campaign for my second book where I sent out like 60 odd um, physical arcs around the world to people like traditional publishers. And I felt that worked really well for me. And I think a lot of my readers got like these special edition arcs that are, are not going to be produced again. And it was great. Well, can I guarantee that will work for someone else? Absolutely no. And can I pin that that was the one thing that helped my second book launch really well? I couldn't, I couldn't at all, but will I do it again? Absolutely, yes. Hmm. So it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's a really hard question to answer. I think in general, it's just working. It's the, it's the answer that no one ever wants. It's just working damn hard, which a lot of authors do anyway. It's the, I think I, when I started this, I was working um working in the pharmaceutical industry and i was doing shift work from like 7 a.m to 7 p.m and it's switching over to 7 p.m to 7 a.m and when i do 7 a.m to 7 p.m i get up at six go to work get home at 7 p.m i go to the gym come back and make food i start writing at like nine and then i finish writing at like 3 a.m 2 a.m and then i go get back up at 6 a.m and go to work and it was gonna kill me like it wasn't healthy i don't think anyone should do that but that's what it took to get that much out while I was still working full time. And I think even now that I'm doing this full time, I don't think I write more. I just sleep more. I just feel healthier now. So to, so, to, so to do that, it took a lot of dedication. What what made you um, have that commitment? What what does, what what does was it your when did you decide to write a book and commit yourself like that? You stole my question, Steve. That was my question. I was going to say, like, what made you decide now is the time to, like, do this? Well, I was actually, I was working, when I started, I was working in a different job. And I was the only microbiologist they'd hired um, in the world because they were just introducing a new um, type of drug, so a large molecule drug, which they didn't have. And they need microbiologists for, but they didn't need me yet. So they hired me, like, six months before they needed me. So they put me up in a room and they just wouldn't give me work. Like, I mean, genuinely would not give it to me. I watched like seasons of Netflix. They were paying me full time and I was just sitting there on my own in the room. And after about four different seasons of different shows on Netflix, I said, oh, fuck that. I'm going to write that book I wanted to write. And I just started writing it. And that was that. And I'm kind of like, I always joke when people talk about half-assing something. I say I'm a whole-ass kind of person. <laughs> like, I just... I just get really obsessive over stuff like that. And like, at the same time, I'm a magpie and I jump around and I dart stuff. And I, I'm pretty sure, like my mom works in second chance education. And she was like 100%. If you were tested for ADD, you would have, you, you would be positive for ADD. You, you, you have it hundred percent. So she has plenty loads of kids in the, in the schools who have the exact same characteristics as me in that regard. And, um, but at the same time that I get really hyper-focused on stuff. So that was that. I was like, I'm writing this book, and if I'm going to write it, that's it. And it's just fixating on it. Yeah, it's a weird one. Hyperfixation, yeah, it helps sometimes. 
I imagine too, though, even if you don't have the proclivity to hyperfixate on something, when you dive into a world as deeply as you did and really immerse yourself, it must be hard to stop, you know, when you get going. I imagine, you know, PL is also an author here. I imagine when you get, get a story in your head, you need to get it out, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, it's very much that. And I think this is kind of, this story and this world has changed so much since I first started it in my head. And it is one of those things that when, once I started it, it was, I was just at the computer all day, every day. It happened in the middle of COVID as well. So like me and my partner, we went from being together for like two years to then we were living together. We just moved in together and with a few friends. And now all of a sudden we were spending every waking hour together, every single day, every single week. And we have done now for the next two years. And because of COVID, she was working on the kitchen table in PR and I was working a foot away from her at my desk every single day and that would just be me i'd come in we'd do our thing and i just sit down put my headphones on and that was it just disappear into that while she was doing her work and i do mine and yeah it kind of just became a routine i think that's like i think i said it a while ago um on an interview that i did and it's something that's kind of stuck with me a long time my dad is a real um he's a real inspirational guy he's a guy for those inspirational quotes he loves them and he believes it too and um, like he used to like anytime I played basketball games and we'd have a bad game, he'd come up to me and he'd go, "You remember Man United in the 1999 Champions League final?" And then he'd go on and on and on, and it would, every time. And so, I think I kind of said to myself when I started this kind of off his thing is that like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna fail at this, it's not gonna be because I didn't work hard enough. It is is that like, I can definitely fail, but if I do, it won't be because I didn't put the effort in. Do you feel? Um... Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> do you feel um, the weight of success that you have achieved? Do you feel that, you know, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, not not to put even more on you, but, you know, you are in, in a different kind of little stratosphere now amongst indies. You know, of course, there's the there's the Will Whites and all that yeah. sort of sales. But 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 it, but in terms of the crowd that I kind of talk to and know and hear about, you're definitely you know, near that, that, that top tier, um, is, is there a lot of pressure with that? Yeah. It, it's a weird one because I, I think I don't really view myself as successful. I, I view myself as like, I've done, I've done really well and I'm really, really happy with where I've come and, and that's great. But I think because of just the situation itself, you know, to me, I'm not successful until I finish the series. Like, because like, it's great now, but if I don't stick the landing and close it out, was it really successful? Like if it, Peter's off and I think that's I think most people would be in that scenario if they were in my position I think that's it's natural to feel that way um yeah no I, I definitely do um it's it's one of those things where I think a lot of people you know grass is always greener for everyone and obviously you want to be in a position where you're selling loads of books and that's great but when you're in that position especially with the length of books that I'm writing so I like think the last one was 245,000 words and this one is looking to be over 250 to keep that turnaround is is quite tough because Will White's producing a book every year and sometimes thinking might be a little bit more than that, but his books, we looked at it, his first five books fit into my second book. So I think that's the difference as well. And you get that frequency of release when you have a, it's hard to compare it to Will White. He's just a phenomenon anyway, but it's definitely there. Um, that idea that I think when I wrote the first book, I kept saying to Amy, who's my partner, I was like, oh, I should get the second book right. Because if I get the second book right, you know, that's, that's perfect. And I write the second book. It's like, I'm just going to get the third book right because the third book, and it's going to keep going. 
And I think, yeah, I think until I finish the series, I think that's my comfort point there is finishing the series and knowing that I've completed a body of work. Um, it's definitely there. I think when you're not selling books, it's horrible and stressful. And, you know, it makes you feel like you want to give up because why? I think I think that, that can be quite... I hate that for anyone because I think most people started writing because it's their passion. So, and I think it's a thing that we've done with society is basically we've been told to monetize everything we're good at. And if, if it doesn't make money, then we're not good at it, which isn't true. Um, but I think when you do sell books, I've seen it with a few other authors as well who've sold loads of books and they're considered really, really, really successful. But the weight of producing something better than the previous one can absolutely crush people. Um, I think it seems to be really common imposter syndrome in, in all authors. But I think the difference is imposter syndrome on a smaller scale. You don't have as many people jumping down at you. Like on the big scale, you look at George R. Martin. And every time he puts a post about anything, people release the book, release the book, release the book. It's like, how have you not written it yet? How is it possible? It's like, you clearly have never sat down to write a book, if that's your opinion. Because even if he knows the ending and knows every single character and knows every single path, it's very different having it in your head and putting it on paper. So I think he's kind of like the highest profile one. I don't think he hasn't released Winds of Winter because he hates people. I think it's just mentally crushing him. Like, same with Patrick Rothfuss. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we talked about we I, talked about that before, and it's it's just absolutely crazy. Sorry, Taylor, you were saying? No, no, no. I was just going to say, basically, I think creators like Steve and I, um, you know, mm -hmm. feel the same way. It's yeah, not... Absolutely. only authors that i'm not i'm saying that probably all creatives is what i'm trying to say deal with yes. this feeling right because yep. even when i release a video i'm really proud of as soon as that video is out like it's it's live i'm already thinking i gotta make the next one as good as that one you know and and it hasn't even yep. met its audience yet anyone in any creative field that has that same thing you know? definitely definitely 100 mm -hmm. and then you refer you guys know you sorry go ahead taylor sorry no 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 i was just same thought so and then if that video does perform well, then it's more likely that your next video is not going to perform as well as that one, if that's the best one you've done so far. So then yeah. you get the inevitable downward votes and this one's not doing as well. And we've talked about this before, you know, when we get together, but yeah. um, it's, I can really sympathize with the feeling that you're talking about because it's a continuous creative process. You know, it's not one and done. And I think with you guys as well, you have such a high frequency of release. It's a slight, it's a different scenario, but the, the feeling on the creator is the same. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I think for me, like when I'm releasing these books, because they're so far in between them, like I get more time to sit down and go through them. And there's more intricacies, like a 250,000 word book, all these story threads and characters, there's more intricacies for you to try and make something and tweak it. Whereas when you're releasing like these this content kind of YouTube, like weekly, some people even daily or like, there's just so much content. You're going to have a lot more negative things just by the nature of the quantity of what you're releasing, which does not make it any easier on you. I imagine that's, yeah, incredibly tough. Yeah, and and what I was going to say is that the I think the trap for all of us creatives, booktubers, authors, is benchmarks, you know? So, you know, Taylor and Steve, you passed, you got 1K subs awesome it's like you know maybe you felt okay i've kind of semi-arrived but then obviously you're looking at some other book tours like, okay, 5k well, 10k yeah exactly like us okay you get a best-selling tag you know what i mean i remember when i first i first made best on my new publisher i was like 
oh my gosh, and then went straight to number one. And and but then I didn't do it with the second book. I felt like a failure. You know what I mean? So it 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 it's just um, something that um, you can really get wrapped up in. And I think also we live in a world, this is getting really existential, but we live in a world of instant gratification and um, where, so I have quite a, I, I think it's kind of think that's quite nice, but also be tough. I have quite a lot of authors who will message me and email me um, and ask me like, like I would have done. I know it's, it's really funny. So I'm, I'm friends with Ben Galley now um, and online friends, friends. And, um, you know, I talk to him pretty casually most of the time. Um, but before I started, um, I had actually messaged Ben on Facebook asking him things about our creators and stuff like that. Like I didn't know who he was. And um, now I'm kind of seeing that myself. And I see a lot of newer authors ready to give up. They've released their first book and it hasn't done the way they've wanted. And they're like, I'm really considering throwing in the towel. And you know, do you have any, any tips? And I was like, it's tough. It's actually, honestly, it's tough for me to give tangible advice because my book did do well, reasonably close to out the gate. Um, but part of that is because of the, the genre. I mean, like it's very broad, classic epic fantasy. So it, it's a much bigger audience. And some people writing in much smaller niches and it's or niches or niches, whatever way you want to. Um, but it's, it's much, much harder to drive momentum there because you just have a smaller pool. But I know from experience with other things as well and from like everything I've seen with bigger authors and, and kind of like the research I did before I launched, like you see Brandon Sanderson wrote 13 books before he sold any of them. And it's, I absolutely hate Conor McGregor. I hate him, despise him as a person. But his coach, he used a word that I always love called stick-to-itiveness. And I think it's probably the biggest trait in anyone's arsenal. Um, but with authors in particular as well, because you, you expect like, if this doesn't sell, I'm a bad author. If I release this, I am just bad. I'm not worth it. I should stop. And it's like, no, there's probably a hundred thousand different things that will factor into how your book sells. And maybe this time you just didn't do enough of them or enough of them didn't work or didn't fire off. But that doesn't mean the next one won't. And there are quite a few authors I've seen whose books hadn't sold. And then two or three years later, like I see, um, I think Quenby Olsen, I don't, to say her book hasn't sold is wrong at all. She's a fantastic book. The Miss Percy's Pocket Guide to How to Train British Dragons. I think I mixed that. Karen Keeping of British Dragons. There you go. <laughs> um, but I know I know it's had a big renaissance in the last while. And she's got loads of reviews coming in and the sales are ticking up. And, and it just shows, like Travis Baldry released his book which really brought about a spark in cozy fantasy. And that has waves. And you'll see that. I think sometimes people give up so quickly because you put your heart and soul into something and you're saying like a creative, I think all creatives, their, their self-worth balances in other people's opinion inherently based on what they do. So it's so easy to basically hate on yourself if it doesn't go well straight away. But I think that patience and that kind of, yeah, the stick-to-itiveness is really important. Yeah. Absolutely. And to go off the Brandon Sanderson example you made, you know, Elantris, it was his first published book and people still say, yeah, that's his worst book. But that was the first one he put out into the world. I love it. But, you know, if you want to base it on the first book you put out into the world, you know, people really are not fans. of Brandon it, it is a mixed bag for me. The know? amount of people who will say, oh, it's really funny because any of the readers go, oh, darkness and light is such a massive leap from a blood and fire. And it, it's a great thing to hear. Then I'm like, oh, 
man, I wish that first book was better. Then. <laughs> like, that's the way the human brain is wired. Like yeah. you see a hundred good reviews and one bad one, and that's all you focus on. That's it. Like I feel exactly the same. I feel exactly the same. And you know, people tell me, oh my gosh, you know, the last event is so such a big leap from Dragon Kingdom. And I know how you feel, Ryan, but your first book is always gonna be your baby. You know, John King is my baby, right? So, you know, as much as I know, you know, even in my own head that The Last Day of Atlantis is probably a better book technically and blah, blah, that's my baby, right? Do you know, do you know what it's like? I equate it in my head to the age-old adage, um, slightly misogynistic adage, that when, you know, like a woman comes in and you go, oh, you look great. And they're like, they not look great yesterday. <laughs> like, and obviously it's not always true, but the idea being that like, it actually happens a lot on Twitter. Twitter is one of the worst for it, is that people infer an implication based on what you said and then take that from what you didn't say. And it's... What was it, that viral tweet? Like, I do it all I'm the time. Sure. Like, like you, with your book. Someone says the second book is great and you instantly go, the first book wasn't? Yeah. Yeah. There was a viral tweet and for the life of me, I can't remember the actual example used in the tweet, but it was something like... Um, on this app, you'll say something like, I like waffles. And the response will be, so you don't like pancakes? And I'm like, uh, yes, that is so that much. is Twitter. That it, is it, Twitter. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I just want Twitter to burn in a small hole. I love it, actually, like for interacting with people. But it's when I <laughs> yeah. scroll and the stuff that I, I just, I, I can't. I just can't. Mm -hmm. I, I go, what the fuck is this? And yeah. like, you kind of want to comment because it's so fucking ridiculous. But like, I know no matter what I do or say, chances are, I'll lose like 250 followers because one person did like waffles, but they thought the pancakes were poisoning people. Yeah. Um, I'm actually yeah. going to uh, answer Marilyn's questions up on the screen. He's been there for a yeah. while. Um, yeah, I just yeah. want to know yeah. that Rendell and Baldock will have grisly deaths. I'm not sure what book you're on, so I'm not going to ruin anything. Um, I'm not going to spoil stuff, but um, I like to kill people in books. <laughs> so, take from that what you will. And, uh, our friend Mark Timoney is taking notes. Get the second, get the second book, right? book, right? Well, the way I, the way I look at it, actually, the second book, I do think it's quite important because I feel like you see with a lot of series, someone likes the first book about the second book. Okay, someone likes the, someone doesn't like the second book, they can quite easily drop the series. Yeah. If someone likes the second book and then finds a slightly disappointing time in the third book, a much higher proportion of people will move on to the fourth book because they're committed to the series, the whole and um, sunk cost fallacy that you put your time into this book and therefore you can't put it away. Um, I think that does hold true. So I do think the second book technically is probably more important than the third, but like the reality is, you know, keep writing good books. <laughs> the Wolf Mantula had a question. Did you use the Templar Knights as a template for the Knights of Acreon? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like I, I massive, 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 massive history buff. And um, I say buff, constantly, actually, do you know what? Take, scratch that. I think you just, I just have a good douche when I send the history buff. I really, really like all forms of classic history, ancient history, um, like I took up classical studies as an extra subject in my secondary school or in high school, just outside of school, just to learn it. Um, and the, the, the Knights Templar are yeah, just such a cool part of history. I don't know why someone just went and goes, Do you know what? I am going to absolutely romanticize this order. Um, and they just got, they're like the Spartans. They just got blown up all over history. Um, but I just kind of, that idea of the stoic knights who are going to do all this and they're going to, power through is always something cool but then you also have that level of religious fanaticism that can you know be used to do things 
Just saying, it sounds like they end up in Canada at the end. So uh, there you go. <laughs> that makes sense. That's where the Mounties came from. Yeah. <laughs> our, our friend uh, Chris had a question. Do you think the market for self-pub has changed a lot since you released book one? Similarly, mm-hmm. where is it in the longer term? Yeah, I think it has. I think it's changed a lot. I think it's constantly moving, which is obviously a cop-out answer. But I think it's constantly moving in a certain direction. I think um, the self-published market, at least one area of the self-published market, I think when we're on Twitter and we're in groups like this, we kind of have a, a bubble. We have a bias in that like we go, people go, oh, self-published fantasy covers are amazing now. The ones you see are, because you might know 50 authors on Twitter, but there's thousands of books released every day. So there's still to some people when they go on, they still see a lot of stuff that's not there yet. But I think it's moving where the vast majority of people are starting to see that there's basic levels of stuff you need to have. Um, and that quality of content is constantly improving. But what that does for the market is that it blends self-published and traditionally published books a lot more. Um, you're seeing that and it was a constant choice for me, constant, and um, that's the wrong word. It was a purposeful choice. What was the word I was trying to use? I don't know, but it was a purposeful choice to have my covers kind of look like um, like Game of Thrones, Neil Gaiman, kind of symbolic covers that blended in with traditional fantasy um, to kind of capture that blurred market where I, so, I thought the market was starting to blend because I was starting to know a lot of people who... And, and, I go on tangents all the time, but it's kind of like why people don't get a lot of reviews and they're wondering why they don't get a lot of reviews. And a lot of the time I'll ask them if they have a section in the back of the book right after the book finishes, explaining to readers why you need reviews and how little time it takes to leave a review and how much you appreciate a review. And they're like, oh, that wouldn't do anything. That's what it does because a lot of the readers that you're seeing now in the indie world, they're not looking for indie books. They're looking for books. And when you have like, when, especially when you're in a blogger market, you know about Amazon reviews, you know about Goodreads, you do all that. But I know when I was reading books, I wasn't leaving reviews and it was just because I didn't know, I didn't think. Um, and I think that's moving more in the market now. You're seeing this blend of trad and indie where people aren't, because of the jump in quality and particularly in the jump in the quality of covers, because that's what they see on the Amazon store. Um, I think you're getting a really solid blend of, of the readership and if you find a way to capture that and find a way to kind of get the gears rolling for that, I think you can, you can do really well with it. I think, um, a, sorry, go ahead. Tim. That's a really, really good comment about the, uh, the reviews. I just wanted to double down on that because before I started mm-hmm. my channel, I did not write reviews. Um, so, well, actually just before my channel, I discovered Goodreads and then I was doing reviews for myself, not to, for other yep. readers just to have a record of what I had read. But yep. if you're not in this world, that's a really good point that people don't think to write them, even if it's a quick star rating. So I just wanted to like double down on what you said that requesting a review, I think as a reader would be very helpful, especially if you're not already in this space. And it's, it's probably one of the number one pieces of advice that I give to any author who asks me about reviews and about, and about books and sales is, is to do your research and, and, a lot of times I don't know what that means. Uh, when I was launching my book, I went and I bought all the books that were top of the charts in my the genre that I wanted to launch into. I bought Dragon Mage, I bought Ascendant, I bought like all of these Dragon Rider books, and I picked the ones that had like the highest amount of reviews. And I read them cover to cover, 
and I looked at how they arranged their back matter and their front matter and I went, okay, well, this is clearly working. This book has 2000 reviews in a year. It's working. So the way they've arranged the things in the back matter, that works. And one of the commonalities that I found in the books with high reviews was they all have really heartfelt messages to readers at the end, explaining why they need reviews um, and, and how them leaving review will allow you to get them a second book. And conversely, my brain, English, yeah, I think it's conversely. Um, a lot of the ones with lower review counts didn't have those things in them. So it's, that's just something that I found when I was looking through. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't know about that either until I started my channel. So most people don't, like you don't think about it because your natural instinct, especially coming from a trad field, is these books are bought by publishers. They have millions of dollars behind them. And you also you like apply your Stephen King logic to even like just every trad author. You're like, they're they're an author. They're published. They get millions. I don't need to leave a review. They have all their advertising budgets. And it's just that kind of fallacy that gets brought out when you see all the big names everywhere. Especially when you realize that. Um, because you're trapped published, your publisher is going to send out thousands and thousands of arcs and you're going to have thousands and thousands of reviews, whereas an indie author may be struggling to get 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 reviews but are cheering is, for. It's honestly the same for a lot of trapped authors too. And it's that thing that I think people don't understand is the misproportion of, of not misproportion, but the, the difference in, in budgeting is that like publishers are a business. So they're naturally going to put their money behind something they think they are adamant will sell. The closest thing to a sure thing is what they'll put their money behind. So there's a lot of new authors who come through and it's kind of, you know, it's sink or swim. They just chuck them out and be like, okay, your job, sell those books. If you sell enough, we'll give you more money on the second book. And that happens with a lot of child authors. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, and I really think, you mentioned Library of Viking earlier. He did an awesome video the other day uh, regarding um, you know, self-published books and, oh, yeah, and whether or not they're, you know, what the caliber is, et cetera. But, and, and while I'm a blogger, I, and I started recently, I, I give all credit to the, the Steve's and Taylor's and Library of Vikings of the world, because what I think the difference now is that with booktubers, you see them hold up, you know, a blood and fire, and you'll see them hold up, you know, Miles from John Gwynn. Mm -hmm. And they're, all the books are together on the same bookshelf, and they look equal, quote unquote equal, and the bloggers, the booktubers giving reviews about both books, you know, one, and perhaps they might say yeah. it's an indie book. They might not. Regardless, it, it, it's also visually putting them on par. And I think that's maybe one of the biggest changes I've seen in the industry that that's doing. The absolute sweet spot you want as an indie author is being able to utilize the momentum of being an independently published author while blurring the lines and the purchasing spectrum between trad and indie. So you want your book to look like a trad book, to have as little barriers between you and the reader as is humanly possible, but while also being able to brandish the fact that you're indie and being able to really utilize that and go like, you know, I'm, and by doing, I think the difference, the way to do that is through reader interaction. Like that's the biggest thing, like especially with like mailing lists and with all this sort of stuff, is trying to show that you're so accessible. Um, which a lot of newer trad authors do as well, but I think it was kind of like a, you know, almost like a, a hero's thing years and years and years ago. It's just you wouldn't get that kind of interaction with authors. Mm -hmm. uh, Bo Kelly had a question. Uh, Ryan, I understand why you hate Connor, but the real question mm -hmm. is, how do you feel about his whiskey? So his whiskey is actually made by Bushmills. So it's good whiskey. Um, so he's a, he's a dipshit. Uh, but he's just basically put a different label on Bushmills whiskey. So 
it's good whiskey, unfortunately. And Chris has a great point. Uh, the first book has to be pretty good if they decided to read the second. Yeah, yeah like, I thought that too. But even I saw quite a few different reviews. People, and it's actually like a thing of pride. When you see someone leave a three star review on book one and a five star review on book two, you're like, have a convert. Yes. <laughs> like, that's, they actually tend to be some of the most dedicated fans because they're like, oh, I see what you did. I see how you, you know, improved your craft and how you leveled this up. And I love that. And then they get really into it. Like, but yeah, I, I thought that too. But, <laughs> and our friend Lana, one of the Avengers. Lana, Do you have to kill I, some of the people so brutally, though? It kind of depends. And it, it's like a while ago, we we're talking. So I have my Discord, and then um, we have like spoiler sections and stuff, and people were talking about the character deaths. And like, there was a suggestion that there's like there's like a love interest for one of the characters. Like, oh, I think what's going to happen is we're going to kill this love interest off, you know, and get this guy to fight this guy. And I was like, that's one thing that I, I won't do. I was like, I will absolutely kill a love interest off to inspire someone else, but only if that love interest is a character in their own right. So that love interest, I think that's the difference when you think that term fridging is that it's when you introduce a character just to motivate another character. And I think a lot of the time, especially on Twitter and stuff, the discourse is a bit fucking stupid to excuse my French um, because it's black or white. You can't Now excuse your French. <laughs> yeah, you, but like, you, can't, you can't do this. You're not allowed. You can't do this. You can never kill a character to inspire another one. I was like, no, that's fucking ridiculous. Because mm. that's the way real world works. Like if someone harms your family or harms, it makes you angry or it makes you sad or it gives you a reaction. But I think the difference is, is in the depth you give that character. If you are making that character just to motivate someone, then it's cheap. But if you have a character that you've poured love into and you've given time on the screen and they're a character in their own right with their own motivations and their own complexities, and that character happens to die, there will be other characters who are motivated by that death or crushed by that death. And sometimes, Lana, it does have to be brutal. <laughs> and, uh, Marilyn referring to her question earlier, I didn't think you could answer that. <laughs> Neither did I. Neither did I. Look, like I said, I'm not actually giving you anything on it. Just that one thing is for sure. I'm not George R. Martin when it comes to killing people, but I have no problem with killing characters. So if it makes sense, I will never kill someone just to kill them. Like, if it's a logical part of the story, then it's going to happen. Yeah, I just have to say, if anyone pulls this out of context, it's just Ryan admitting that he might be a mass murderer in real life. Like, <laughs> if you take it, that whole conversation, because at one point you said people instead of characters. So I, I have no problem with killing people. <laughs> it's like, if someone Whoops. flips that, oh, no. you got, you got to do field <laughs> research, though, right? Yeah. yeah. Let me scratch that from the... Write, write what you know. We'll take that out and post. Write <laughs> what you know. Write what you know. Our friend Andrew, don't, uh, Ryan, don't die, drink whiskey. Andrew. <laughs> A true uh, member of the Whiskey and Books group. Yes, so. indeed. Uh, Lana, that's why I like Kindle. When you finish your book, it automatically prompts you to leave yeah. a review and at least, or at least a story rating. It's kind of a weird thing where like, I'll see people on Twitter and authors and they're like, oh, I hate that the people can leave just a rating and they won't leave a review. I want to know, especially if it's like a one star. Like, I want to know why. Like, why do you want to know? No, take the damn review. Like, as in those ratings are, are important. Like, it, definitely take them. If someone wants to leave me a five star review or a one star review or whatever review they want and they don't want to leave a reason, that's totally fine. You're taking your time of your day to leave me uh, a rating. And like, that's it. That, that helps. Those things are golden, absolutely golden. Yep. It, it can help someone who what one person's one star is another person's five star. They see someone's like, mm, I'm intrigued now. 
why did they one star yeah. that? I have to read it. Or why did they give that person such a horrible review? But everything they said in their review is what I like that they didn't. Yeah. So I'm going to go read exactly. it. So. And Alicia's one's an interesting one there because there's a there's a whole maths thing behind this. So basically, I spent a lot of time looking at this too because, you know, I'm fucking obsessive. But um, <laughs> so with Amazon, okay, Amazon isn't a bookstore. It's it's a shop and it sells products. You're a product, your book is a product. It grades your books like a product. Okay. And I did this before in an interview on a Discord where basically I was talking about like a like a toaster. All right. So one of the things is a lot of the time, especially as consumers, we look at something and we we view four star as your bare minimum. Because look at it this way, right? If you have something at three to three and a half stars, okay, like if I go to buy a Hoover and it's at three stars, I'm not buying that Hoover because it very clearly doesn't function. Not the way it's meant to, <clears throat> but that's the way ratings work on Amazon because it's a shop and it's, it's what gets misconstrued when it comes over. And it's that you also see people like authors will say, oh, Amazon weights one stars more than they weigh five stars. And it's like, no, they, they don't. Mathematically, they weight them exactly the same, but the difference is because of our perception. So our perception is that we, the, the real middle ground is 2.5 stars. Okay. But our baseline acceptance is four. And also, if your book drops below 3.6, you can't use Amazon ads, right? Mm. So every three-star review drags your book closer to being unadvertisable. And it's mm. it's a weird one. It's a strange dynamic in that three and three, three and a half star reviews are totally warranted, logical, make complete sense. Like whether it, they're the most wildly varying reviews. I've seen that. Love this book, three stars. Hated this book, three stars. Just like PL was saying. But it's a, it's a weird thing with perception, whereas I think people look at it and anything below four stars, even though anything below four stars, it still has the potential to be a, a fantastic book in a reader's opinion. From Amazon's perspective, it's a subpar product. And it, it just has to do with the way Amazon markets stuff that people look at it really strangely. But like some of my favorite insights for reviews, I know reviews are for readers, but I like to read them too sometimes. And some of my favorite ones come from three and three and a half star reviews. Absolutely. But it's just that weird perception thing because of Amazon. It's interesting hearing you talk about the Amazon perspective, because for mm. me, maybe it's just because of the type of reviews that I do. I always mm. think review Goodreads, which technically is Amazon, but it doesn't get posted under the product, right? So that's on Goodreads, it is a different world. If I see a three or yeah. 3.5, I'm like, ah, yeah. Okay. But that's average on Goodreads. And that actually, that's a quite a direct comparison between Goodreads and Amazon is seeing, you'll see, many massive books with 3.5, 3.6, 3.7, you know, it's actually the quantity of those reviews that are helping you. And the quantity works too on Amazon, but that's such a, it's actually, it's a really good comparison in that dynamic is that you see 3.5 on Goodreads, still a great book. You see 3.5, if you, if you passed a Kindle book with 2000 ratings on Amazon and a 3.5 average, you probably wouldn't give it your time. Yeah. Most people wouldn't. And mostly because, you know, there's only so many books to read in the world. And I know a lot of people say they don't look at reviews and ratings, but like it's the quickest way for us to kind of have a general gauge of a book. Which, yeah. which if you think about it, is absolutely wild because first of yeah. all, on Goodreads, your mother can leave a review on Goodreads and give you a five-star review. And, you know, people will, if she'd say, say your names are different and no one will think twice about it, right? And um, also on Goodreads, um, you'll see a lot of fellow authors will read your book and review it on Goodreads. But on Amazon, Amazon does this thing where they, 
because their mandate is Goodreads is for readers and 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 Amazon is for purchasers, as Ryan has, has, has indicated, that you know they have this thing about collusion. Oh well, you know, uh, you're you're too closely associated with this person, so we're going to remove that review, that 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 glowing review, because you know you you know we've done our, our research on social media, and, and they're you know your mother, your brother, sister, your close friend, your whatever, mm-hmm. and in other words, they can't like your book and can't leave review. Maybe even if they legitimately did, it's just that. Amazon's perception is that it's some kind of collusion, and you're 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 uh, manipulating the algorithms by having these people, your friends, um, you know, reading through your books. But on good reason, nobody cares. And and that that contradiction is is. Really I think stuck. the difference, though, as well, is is that a review on Amazon holds a lot more power. And the reason it does is because review on Amazon. The difference is, if you're in a shop, and the far side of the shop is a chocolate bar. All right, there's a certain mathematical probability of you buying that chocolate bar. That's a good reads review. You might pass it, but you have to get it all the way over to the counter. But if you go to the counter and at the counter where you're buying something else, there's a bar of chocolate sitting beside it. The probability of you buying that bar of chocolate is a lot higher. So it's the same with Amazon. It's directly under the Bible. So, you know, it, it really does have that massive difference. It has a, it's, it's a totally mental difference, but it does, it does, there's less obstacles between the reader of the review and the purchase button. No, agreed. I can even envision a time where Goodreads remo- removes the buy button, the Amazon buy button from Goodreads because ah, they, so. they. I, I heard somebody, uh, somebody I know who used to work for Amazon, um, say that they are really, really wanting to make uh, Goodreads more of a almost like a library type, um, you know, function, as opposed to like as you said, Ryan, you know. Amazon's yeah. about it's a product, right? So that's why and, I'd be very surprised because anything that drives traffic to their shop, they want. So it would they might do it. It would just seem strange from a business perspective. If I agree, totally it. strange. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I don't. I, and I don't. I don't think that the purity, preserving the purity of Goodreads, <laughs> is going to be a spot. Nothing pure about Goodreads. <laughs> but but you know uh, who knows, right? This is a. The book industry is a weird thing. It's changing so yeah. constantly and so rapidly. So, um, my big, know. my big concern, like, genuinely no joke. My big concern <laughs> is what goes on in America, and solely because what's going on right now, Amazon is all based out of America. And if, if a lot of stuff does change and does happen, there will be a huge dynamic shift, and um, especially when you have people like like with Trump coming in, a lot of his policies have to do with money leaving the U.S. and um, there's a lot of stuff that people aren't thinking about, mostly because, you know, the stuff that's happening right now, our money is not our concern. You're sitting there and you're going, there's human rights issues. Um, but that is a side effect if it goes a certain way. It's strange how much of a massive stranglehold, because Amazon and all are based out of the US, that it actually has on a global economy for people like authors and royalty systems. Hmm. Uh, and Mark Martimini uh, and Moran might die drinking whiskey before noon. It was one glass. It might, <laughs> might, be, it might be a second one soon, though. If it was a PL-sized glass, maybe, but... No. Yeah, that's a, that's a serious glass. Ah, you, no, I'm serious about drinking whiskey. <laughs> what do you have in PL? Uh, this is... Uh, I don't have the bottle. It's Wolfhead. It's a local... Um, it's a local story um, in the Windsor, Ontario area. Great, fantastic. Their flavored whiskeys, like their caramel, their coffee whiskey. Oh, chef's kiss to die for it is just fantastic, but this is. Uh, I remember like, you like, posted oh, it's actually the a <laughs> <laughs> Great stuff! Great stuff! 
Yeah. I'm so jealous. I'm just going to sit my green tea in this corner. <laughs> I'm just reading uh, Nathaniel's question now. That, that's a, that's an interesting one because I actually find it, I find it more bold to start a book. People have these big time gaps between books. And I'd be like, you know, I find that more challenging. People have time gaps between these books. Now, there's actually about four or five days between A Blood and Fire and A Breakfast and Life, but the, the scenario that they're in is there. But um, I think it would have been very strange if I had moved on a lot further. And I think some people do that. They make like it be six weeks or a month or a year. And I'm like, but what happened in between, guys? You know, what happened in between? I need to know. So yeah, I, It I can be a risky job. choice to do that. The one series that I've read that I think does that to perfection is the Greenbone Saga. The Greenbone Saga jumps over large swaths of time, which can be really dangerous if you're attached to a character in one series and then they're older in the next one or you know closer to the grave or maybe in the I've grave, you know, in, by that point. And Red Rising as well. Um, but I haven't, I haven't got to read them. I haven't got to read either of them, but I have both of them here. So I need to read Greenbone them. Saga is a masterclass in fantasy. It is so good. And even though there are those large time gaps, it worked for the story. Like Fonda Lee really made that work for her. But um, I agree that it can definitely be a risk, you know, as a reader. I would even just reader, think it's, it's, more like, yeah. it's more of a risk than, so I, like Nathaniel was saying there that, you know, it's bold to start Darkness and Light in the same scenario. I would almost say it's definitely more of a risk than it would be to just continue from where it is. And like, is in even not a massive spoiler, but going from the, the second book into the third book, like I have a prologue, but the first main scene is like seconds after the last scene in book two. And just because I, I left it at a position where like to skip over that next part wouldn't make sense. Like, you know, there's, there's, there's something about to go down and like, you want to see what happens. Um, so yeah, I actually, I find it much harder and that's why I'd be very impressed. I want to see, read from the next book because I always find it incredible when authors do that because it it's an incredibly powerful tool when you can use it because you can create like years of backstory, character development, skills, um, and if you do it right, it pulls off amazingly. I would say for me, what what made this work for me as a reader was the character work put in before that. So. Mm if you can fill in the gaps yourself so clearly this character had to make choice a b and c to get from this point to this point you know between the two books but mm. because the character work and the internal world was so consistent i could imagine the character making those choices ah this is what they would have done this is what they would have done i see how they're here now right so yeah. it's not it's it lets you fill in the gaps and you can fill in the gaps because you can that's guess the epitome of good character what the work. character would have done oh her yeah. characters are phenomenal so i think that's why it works yeah. so well like the amount of time i spent sitting there i've spent hours sitting on my computer staring at the screen being like i need what happens next to be logical based on what this character would do but it also needs to achieve the thing that i want so i'm kind of like what the fuck do i do <laughs> <laughs> oh actually yeah no, I, I agree with what Nathaniel said there and that, yeah that, that was a conscious thing so like the end of book one has a, has a battle in a certain city and then it goes in media rays straight into basically there's another battle on the horizon and it comes straight into that battle in the middle of it shit going down going crazy but um, yeah it's the fresh challenges is, is that what they were facing was different and the, the style of the battle is totally different um, 
I actually, to be totally honest, I hadn't thought about that until I just read that question, and it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> that, that was a bit riskier than I thought it was. <laughs> that actually sparks a question. Oh, sorry, P.L. Did you want to go first? I had a He's question for, for, for the authors in the chat, so for P.L. and Ryan, but as a reader, obviously, the beginning of a book is what grips you, right? So you talk about the hook at the beginning of a story. And some people go for prologues, some people jump right in, right? Or prologues of prologues if you're Brando Sando, right? So there's lots of different ways to start a story. Uh, but I'm curious for you guys, what made you decide how to start the story? Like some people jump into the action and throw you right in. And as a reader, you're like, okay, this is the pace we're going with, right? Some of them use the prologue to set up the scene, right? Uh, one of the best prologues I've ever read is um, actually from Red Sister by Mark Lawrence. That prologue is, <clears throat> it's incredible. Uh, and that prologue specifically talks about an event that'll happen in the future. So it kind of dangles a carrot for you, like we're going to get here, you know? So I'm just curious how you decide to start a story. Do you want to go first, P.L.? Sure. Okay. Um, I He's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, my my prologue, which Steve and Taylor both read, I want to make sure that um, we understood a um, the characters, the main characters' feeling about what they've lost, the fact that there was going to be a tearing down of things and a building back up, and in my prologue, I wove some Easter eggs that someone may read it in the first book and go, that's really sad and that's too bad and I'm hearing other characters feeling. But so many things that he says are things that you won't really pick up on until as the series go on, they wait a minute, oh wow. And then, so so I, I, I put a lot of Easter eggs in my prologue. The prologue doesn't exist to be a big Easter egg because that wouldn't make sense. But um, much of my prologue is to establish the characters, thought process, the fact that there's going to be a tearing down of things and then a needing to build back up. And the characters, um, you know, their their mindset and their emotional state um, in terms of most of the series, right? So that's that's why I, I wrote my prologue. And like I said, because Taylor and, and Steve have read it, I think they they kind of get that. So, But a lot of things you won't see, you, you'll go back and say, wait a minute, he mentioned the prologue of book one. And that will, and there'll be little tidbits and breadcrumbs that the series will be like, ah, I get it when you get to the end. Can confirm. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a silence for anything. What about you, Ryan? My turn. Um, yeah. What about you, Ryan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think so. Initially, my um, my novella, The Fall, the first section of that was actually the prologue for the first draft of Blood and Fire, and I read through it and I was like, no, actually, I want to take this out. I think this can be a much bigger thing. And my two books, The Fall and The Blood and Fire, both start off in very different ways. So A Blood and Fire starts off with a prologue and The Fall starts off in media rays, like just fucking hell for leather. And I think to start off in media rays, there's one thing that needs to happen. I think the character voice that you're telling that in needs to be really strong because when you're in the middle of the action and you're losing people and people are dying and there's meant to be heartstrings tugged, if you can't empathize with that character, you've lost the reader in, in, in something of that style. So 
I don't think that works for a lot of coming of age stories where part of this story is the character developing who they are. So at the start, their narrative voice might not be particularly strong. And I think it, it's weak. It doesn't work all the time. Um, so I think like with my, my novella, I have four different points of view um, and four chapters. And that's what it is. It's four complete different jumps. But I wanted to make sure that each one of their narrative voices was as strong as I could possibly make it to kind of allow you to get into it easier. Um, and then with the prologue, I kind of had one thing. I look at prologues in... And like one or two ways. I think they kind of a prologue. I hate when people are like, it could just be chapter one. I was like, if it could just be chapter one, then it wasn't a prologue. So a prologue should be something that pertains to the story, adds context to the story that can't be told within the narrative structure of the novel. So it shouldn't fit into the narrative structure of the novel on its own. That's why it's a prologue. So a lot of the time it can be used to, like PL was saying, show what is to come. Um to add context to what's happening. Um, like you look at um, Brandon Sanderson's, the, the first prologue for um, The Way of Kings, that gives you context that allows you to understand things as you go. Um, and the same kind of with, uh, with Dragon Mount, with the Wheel of Time, it kind of shows you this epic scale of what's going on. You don't quite understand it at the time, but then as you see what's happening with Rand, you understand where he can go. So I think a lot of the time, they will either add part of the story that will help later on, um, or they add a context or a tone to what to expect. A lot of people, they, I sometimes you see people go, oh, my book starts off slow, so I'm going to add in a fast prologue. Like, that's where it can get murky, because if it doesn't, if it's not actually adding something to the story other than skipping ahead to show the tone to the reader, sometimes it doesn't work. But for me, from a graph perspective, I think that's, that's how I look at them anyway. Yay! Yay. Hey, <laughs> Our boss is here. We better behave ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we'll probably should be. You know? She'll probably say, don't behave yourselves. Everyone look busy. Yeah. You have yeah, a boss? Right. Everyone look busy. Yeah. We're doing the work now. We are busy. <laughs> and our friend Leila's here. Hey, Leila. What's up? And uh, Drew is just stopping by to say hello. Can't stay, but we'll watch the replay. Hope everyone has a great day. Thanks for stopping by. I, I have a boss, but he's a dickhead. <laughs> funny joke by Just me. Tell, tell us how you really feel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> guys go be naughty. Uh, awesome. We'll try our best, man. Beth. Uh, I have... I uh, did want to... Oh, no, oh go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to say, um, I have my copy of The Fall here that I'm hoping to read soon, but I was going to ask Ryan a question. Um, yeah. Is this... And obviously, I'm going to buy the whole series. That's that's my my plan. I read it a year. Um, is this something I should be holding off on and reading the Don't rest ask me that first or yeah no, I am the you're the author man I wanted to ask it too so uh, two times. you're the author what's, what's the question now orders, sir huh? well yeah so I was gonna be the cop and answer is there's two like I actually I did I wrote the book with the intention of it being able to read being able to read being able for it to be read in either order and I did it on purpose because I wanted to release it as um, a reader magnet to attract people um, onto my mailing list after the first book. But then I also wanted it to entice people and let them have a taste of what my writing is like. So I wrote it with the intention that it could be read either way. And all this happened is it's just started this massive fucking war inside the readership. And I mean, like, I think at the start it didn't matter because not that many people read the books. 
now it's fucking bedlam. Um, and like there was an interaction on Twitter the other day, a new guy who was just reading the book and enjoying it. And it's this thing. It's basically when someone picks up the book, like fucking 20 or 30 readers will like comment, being like, you read it in the wrong order. And like, just that's just it. Just fucking slap it out there. Like no context applied. And this guy, that's, oh, I love this book. I'm really enjoying it. And some guys, oh, glad you're enjoying it, but you read it in the wrong order. And he didn't use emojis. So the other guy was like, fuck off. <laughs> and that's just constant now. It's all the time. And it's it, it's funny. And then it's like, oh, Jesus Christ. Children, please control yourself. So I ended up having to write like two prospective reading orders into the ebooks, just so, which is it's starting to work. So I named them after two sore forms that I have, um, this Fedaria and this Balancier, which are like the, the burning winds and the lonely mountain. The idea that is one is blazing and quick and straight into the action, which is the fall, and one is slow and purposeful, which is starting with a good fire. Um, and I'm just sticking to that till the day I fucking die because I cannot draw a line on this. Well, I think that's really helpful the way you just characterized it because for me, that just made my choice right now because I know the type of reader I am and I like to know my yeah. characters. So, you you know, I was just able to make that choice right now based on and, the characterization. So. That's the idea of it, I think. And Zach Aragon actually made, a, made an argument the other day, which was actually quite a good one. So basically, and which is the opposite. So the idea would be that either book will make the other book better. So if you read The Fall first, you'll have more context for Blood and Fire, and you'll, A Blood and Fire will be better than if you read A Blood and Fire on its own, okay? And if you read A Blood and Fire first, The Fall will be better because you've heard more about the characters that are going to appear, and you'll, you'll get them more, you'll understand more. But Zach's argument was that it's better to improve a longer book than a smaller book. So reading the smaller book first improves the longer book, and therefore he feels you should read The Fall first. And it totally depends, but very much like some people, if you jump into the fall, some people love the kind of like, oh, fucking chaos. This is cool. It's, it's basically a nonstop 100 page action sequence with four different points of view all around the same event and different perspectives that's going on. And for some people, they absolutely love it. And other people, they're like, what the fuck is happening? And it very much depends on the reader, like very, very much. Okay, well, I think you convinced me too, and and I definitely trust the author, and I certainly trust Zach Argyle. So, um, you know, I think I think um, I feel like I'm in good good stead reading this first. So, I'm gonna... I, the way it is as well is the fall was written after Blood and Fire, so like the writing for me is definitely better. It's a good way to jump into it, and the writing is a lot closer. A Blood and a Darkness and Light is kind of like the two of them combined. It's kind of like the more epic, larger scope of of Blood and Fire combined with the kind of more improved writing style of the fall. And our, our arch nemesis for the month of, uh, of July is here. Diego. Diego Abdallah. <laughs> Narwhals. 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 I think, I think I saw there that he said it's pronounced Chiago. Oh, okay. Chiago? Yeah. yeah. I've been saying oh, your okay. name wrong. I would, man, I would tell never, us, man. ever have thought that, but I'm pretty sure he said it was Chiago. <laughs> oh, man. And if not, then I'm just making fun of his name for no reason. But, um, <laughs> Chiago or Thiago is still a lovely guy. Yeah, he is. Is. Not, he for, is. not for this month, but after in August 1st, he will be again. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I was right. What did he say? I saw the comments. Uh, I like the fall before because it gave me context to some things mentioned before, and it, Ryan is correct. It's not the whiskey talking. Yeah, TH sounds like CH. Oh. So there is basically there's a, there's a scene in like the second or third chapter of Blood and Fire where one of the main characters who's a storyteller tells the story of the fall. 
um, a really brief outline of this is what happened when the order fell. And then when you read a blood and fire, you see what actually happens. Um, so there is that. That's that's yeah. It, that's where it can kind of be read either way. Isn't kind of like you read the first one and you see what's being mentioned. You're like, oh, cool. And then like there's one two of the characters because my characters, some of them live for quite a long time. They'll appear in the next book, and you're like, ah, it's fucking what's his face. So I don't think you'd say what's his face. That's probably an Irish thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, either way, though, I was gonna say for PL, if you if you survived the what what the fuckness of Death Rider, you're gonna be fine oh. reading any other novella. So. Yeah, yeah, Death Rider was, yeah, WTF <laughs> big time in a good way, yeah. but like, in a very totally, good way, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, we might have to start doing some uh, some deep dives of uh, of Ryan's work. Uh, when we all no, get, Jesus. It, get it no, down. So, yes, yes, yes. Oh, bring yes. it on. Yes. But Do it. I think Nathaniel was just saying he, he wasn't a fan of the fall and he's glad he kept reading through, which is, yeah, I and mean, that that's the way it will always work. Like, and it's, it's really interesting. Like, I see, like, on the India Accords, they're doing a, currently doing like a, a read through of Darkness and Light or like a bunny read of Darkness and Light. And sometimes, like, I kind of feel like I shouldn't go near any of those things because I want readers to be able to say if they find something shit. Like, and I'm totally cool with that. I think I'm not, I'm at a stage now where I've seen enough fucking horrible reviews that if someone comes on and goes, I did not like this book, I'm like, that's okay. That's totally okay. You know, let me let me know, don't let me know, put the book down, go find another book you love. That's what reading's about. Like, it's a hundred percent the way it should always be. And it's like I remember when I was talking to Patrick at the at the very start when he said he was he'd take a blood and fire and he'd read it eventually. And he's like, oh, I'll get to it eventually. I was like, get to it whenever you get to it. Like, because I think if you push someone to read something, they are just not going to like it. You just, mm-hmm. you know, you feel pressure to read something. Reading is meant to be fun. You know, read what you read what you like. You never let it become anything other than something you love doing. Uh, Chiago said that was exactly the scene that sold the fall before to me. And that what's his face finding the last sigil bearer in the woods. Ah, yeah. Also, I didn't comment on being an arch nemesis because I couldn't hear the smack talk <laughs> all the way up in the first place. Okay, look, Esme is carrying your team, and you know it. Ooh. Okay, so she is incredible. Let me just take a minute to talk about her scoreboard. She read two thousand like six hundred pages in the first week, and oh. I was like. With what time? It's incredible. Like <laughs> she's it almost like I can't I can't genuinely like, genuinely I cannot fathom how people can read that much. And like I used to think I read a lot and I did read a lot, but I read a lot less now because it's not the time. But like I might read like six or seven books in a year now, and that, that's a good year. And I see people being like, I read three hundred and twenty-seven books this year. Like, what the fuck? It's insane. <laughs> There's, there's some unbelievable readers, some, some arc readers that I have, and they read of Darkness and Light in one day. It is 245,000 words. It is like 900 pages. They read it in one day. Yeah, there's some, <laughs> right there's some as, as, you know, as me, like even oh. Beth Tobler is quite the, Beth Tobler can throw down. I, I read, I read a decent amount, but nothing compared to, you know, I'll read, you know, right now I think I'm on track for 100 books a year, but there is some, I'm a nobody, like, there's, there's so one, hill, one hill I will die on. I love audiobooks. They are absolutely amazing. and should always count for everything. 
how in the name of fucking God people can read them at three times speed and say they understand them. I just, I will die on this hill. I will bleed on this hill. And I will like, I will fall down this hill dismembered because like I've tried, I listened. Someone said they read it at like, read like Voice of War at like three times speed. And I went on, you actually can't even, like, even if, and I, I've heard the argument on Twitter, people are like, our brains are just more advanced than yours. And I'm like, oh, look, even if that is true. And look, I, I am the first to advocate that a lot of the time you will start something and you might not be good at it. And eventually your brain will learn and it will get better. Totally, 100%. But even just from a, a craft perspective and like a tonal perspective, tonal inflections that the audiobook narrator uses and the way they voice characters, it changes the pitch. Mm-hmm. So when you bring it up to that speed, it genuinely, that's not an arguable thing. And no matter how much you learn to it, and how much you, you get better at listening at that speed, that pitch will not change. So when you, when you increase the pace of a voice to, to that short a wavelength, the pitch will rise for everything to like Alvin and the Chipmunks. So I just couldn't see how it would be enjoyable. Like you can do it. You can definitely do it. But like, oh, like I want to, how could you enjoy it? Like I listen to my narrator's stuff. Derek's so good. And like Zach Argyle's guy, Adam Gold, has the single best voice range I've ever heard in my entire life. Like he is one of the best narrators I've ever heard. And I just couldn't imagine listening to him and just hearing like, <laughs> it's almost like that Spanish um, overdub for Wolverine. Don't know if you've ever heard that. Like when you do like the dubbed voices for movies. So you have Hugh Jackman, but in Spain or in like the Spanish versions, he will have his own voice actor who always voices him. Yeah. All right. So, you know, Hugh Jackman is real gruff. And then you go to like the Spanish one. Donde esta Cyclops? It's like, oh crap. That's, that's Wolverine dead for me now. I have a really funny uh, story of exactly that, but uh-huh. like with my family. So my dad um, has a really cool job working for the James Webb Space Telescope for NASA. So he's like the manager of that. And so he was on. Hey, that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. yeah. And have you seen the new picture? Yes. I've been constantly texting him about that. It's incredible. I'll stop myself. Let me go back to my story. So um, so he had an interview that aired on Japanese TV. And so, of course, my Japanese in-laws and everything were like, oh, my God, we got to watch this. When I tell you the voiceover of his voice, <laughs> was, yeah. like, I know how my dad sounds. OK, but the voiceover was like, hello, my name is John. And I'm like. What is this? Like the intro to a Star uh, Wars movie? Like, why? Why did you put this? <laughs> it, it's so funny when you see it, like, and you, and you do it, oh, especially it's like, up. oh man, especially when you know like the original voice. It's like, oh Jesus Christ, this is this is horrible. <laughs> you couldn't have tried just a little bit more because I know you heard the audio. I know you heard it. But that, that's it. Like when you like when you get audiobooks and you slow it down, you get like everyone sounding like James Earl Jones, and it's kind of like it takes away the the dynamic display of the narrator. Mm-hmm. So like, I get people speeding it up. Some stuff could be slow, but like, for me, I just like, I've never changed the speed of any audiobook I've ever listened to, because like, the only reason I would do it is if like, I needed to finish for a school project. Otherwise, like I have, I have hours, like I'll just take longer to read the book and I'll, I'll read it the way the narrator did it. Because like he, it's a, it's a creative choice that they make to kind of go, I want to read at this pace because I feel like this part of the story should be read like this and this is the way this person should speak and it's each to their own anyone can do what they want but like i just can't understand that i would i would hate that for my audiobook i mean 
most Steve's list of my other book, the, the the narrator, especially my main character, like he nails his whole persona, right? And to listen to that speed it up would totally, you know, eradicate, you know, the whole, you know, the ambiance of, of what he does. If someone right? like, does it and they enjoy the book, or that's that's great. Like, yeah, it's up to them, like, but it's, it's a personal preference. It's like, you know, yeah. me, I go, oh God. Like I couldn't imagine listening to Zach's book spent at three times speed. Not only would I get a fucking heart attack and pass out, like, but it just wouldn't be enjoyable. No, no, agreed. It is a personal preference, but I'm just yeah. I, I'm trying to envision it. It's just like, oh yeah. it's crazy. I, I did. It's you need to do it. If you never if hold on, I'm gonna see if I can because this is like genuinely funny. And I tried to do it before, and especially like I think it's probably different if someone's listening to audiobooks all the time and they're more used to it but when you just pick one audiobook and then you do this to it it's uh it's interesting okay hold on this has to be done all right two couples can you hear that eyes eager with anticipation all right wait for it chris and ariel how and that's actually not bad. I've heard much worse. Like, if you pick up a single word there, you're a better person than I am. That yeah. sounds like the end of a commercial where someone tried to squeeze in, you know, not available purchase in the US. Like, that, that's what it's sounds like. It's right? not even bad because Adam Gold has a really deep voice. I think the, so when it goes faster, it, his voice goes up, but it still sounds like a normal person. I think Mark Lawrence's one, there was one, Prince of Thorns narrator. This is where this initially came about. Someone shared this on Twitter. His voice is reasonably high. So when you squeeze it down to that, it is, it, it's out of the chipmunks. And it's it's pretty damn funny. And uh, Mike from Mike book, Mike's book reviews is here. Hey, Mike, uh, first I've heard of The Fall, but now I'm interested. Ryan's accent helped convince me. Really? Yeah. I hate my accent. And Esme is a wonder. You're, Esme you're exotic. Is, uh, great. Yeah. It's the way it's the way you say "pook." <laughs> <laughs> uh, who if I actually favorite? say it like that. <laughs> and uh, Marilyn has a question: Who's your favorite Fenir or Valeris? I'm sure I'm butchering the names. You, that could never. That's a question I can't answer. It's not possible. And they were actually talking in the Discord earlier, and they were saying about like you know character deaths and. Because this third book is called War and Ruin, and they're kind of like, I'm expecting it to ruin me. Like, there's going to be big character deaths. I was just like, Fenrir will never die. Put all the plot armor on him you want. He will never die. He is Goku. He that 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 animal will never die. I cannot do that to myself. It can't happen. So even if he's on his own, he's the last survivor. He'll survive somewhere. And um, like I said, I, I take that back. I have Blood of Fire, a uh, Blood of Fire, my Goodreads still though. The accent is winning people over. Chiago <laughs> uh, says, if, if it were an intro to a Star Wars movie, it would probably be better than the new trilogy. I, look, I'm going to put it this way. Anything would be better than the new trilogy. So. Mm. And Alicia listens at 1.5. I've tried even 1.5. I, I just, I, I can't. I, just, I, I, can, I think at 1.5, I, I can see people listening at 1.5. But I just think for me, like I can't, like I tried. I am, um, because I, like I said earlier, I'm like a squirrel or a magpie. And like I just I'm I cannot focus. So audiobooks are tough for me as it is. So because sometimes I like be listening to it and then 10 minutes passes and I don't know what happened over the last 10 minutes. So if you if you go one and a half times, I'm losing 15 minutes. 
It's tough. It's so interesting you hear your guys' perspectives on also wanting to hear the narrator's voice specifically. For me, I've gotten yeah. so used to two times speed just with YouTube videos that audiobooks sound normal at that speed. Because another thing of being a YouTuber is you have, not have to, but you should watch your compatriots' content as much as you can, right? So, you know, trying to fit in all of, yeah, and, you know, I want to watch people's vlogs and stuff, but in order to fit it in, in between work, <laughs> um, I've gotten so used to watching it on two times speed that now if I listen to anything, mm -hmm. including myself, like when I'm editing, like, God, I talk slow, you know, <laughs> so I've done this to myself, but I'm so used to two times speed now that one times is just, it's rough. I think for me, like the main thing when it comes to like audiobooks and like when I was given my narrator by my publisher podium, um, it was just hearing the way they approach it. Like it's a craft on its own and they are specifically doing things on purpose. It's a conscious decision that they're making. And um, some narrators are faster than others, some are slower than others. And it's just one of those where I think for me personally, I always feel like I'm kind of missing something if I don't, it, it has actually never even crossed my mind to speed it up. Like, and the only logical reason I could ever have thought to speed something up is to get through them faster. And like, I think for me, speeding through books has just been something I've never wanted to do because it feels like I'm kind of, you know, pushing through them to improve my count, which I think is a contentious thing on Twitter and the, and the Twitter sphere and stuff or whatever, Twitter cube. Um, but that's what it feels like when I'm doing that. I'm kind of like, oh God, I can't do this. Bring it back. I listen to it low and slow. We'll walk around. I'll go for a walk around the lake and I'll have a great time. And I'll hear people die in my ears while I look at ducks. Great. That is a really, I wanted to bring that up too. It depends on the audiobook you're listening to. If you take a walk or you're out in public, like I was at the gym and I was listening to, um, uh, oh my God, what's it called? Island of Sea Women by Lisa C. And there is a scene in that book, which is a, a retelling of a real life massacre, but it is not told that that's in the story so i was not expecting this i'm in the middle of the gym lifting weights and all of a sudden this horrendous scene comes on in my ears and i'm like ah okay <laughs> i'm switching to music because yeah. audiobooks like if you're in the wrong environment it's really weird now, i heard i don't know i haven't that. read is it what um hand of the sun king that, that... i haven't read that yeah, so uh, is greenhouse is that jt is that the other no, I think it's Parker Chan. What was that? Um, no, so Hand of the Sun King is great. Is yeah, it's Greenhouse, right? No, it is. Yeah, there's there's a book recently that has gotten a lot of um, fantastic applause, and I just know one. It's one of the, it's like a sapphic book, and another thing recently that I put up on Twitter is that I only realized there's a difference between sapphic and sapphic. I didn't never equate in my head. I used to see this and it's like, you know, sapphic books. And I was like, oh, books that, you know, where people love each other for their intelligence. Said, no, it actually just directly means lesbian books. Um, and I did not realize that at all. But one of the guys was listening to the book and he said, there's like a pretty straight up lesbian fisting scene in it. And then um, he was just walking through a park on Audible and he's like, oh my God. <laughs> it's like, look a child in the eyes now all of a sudden. 
I cannot, yeah. I cannot do sexy time via audio. I cannot make myself do that. <laughs> oh man. Oh. Uh, Seven. After, after listening Seven. to audiobooks, listening on X7 speed, I started talking no. faster. You have a galaxy brain. Like audible, audible even. doesn't even allow you to go that high. It only lets you go to three and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think it's really crazy. Uh, having just wrapped up my own audiobook, I feel the same way, Ryan. Seeing the narrator's work, it feels blasphemous to speed up. But I think it's just, I think it's one of those things, but like a good narrator should be bringing his tempo when, he, when he's yeah. doing these scenes. And it's one of those things for me, it's like, genuinely, I've only ever heard of people doing this in the kind of reader Twitter sphere section. I've never heard of it before. And it would never even cross my mind. Um, like I would never sit down with a movie and go, I need to pluck up my movie numbers and I'll just watch the movie and fast forward. Um, which, which is what it is. Um, but like if people are comfortable doing it, then that's all that matters. Um, if that's what you want to do, do it. But I just couldn't, I can't, I was about to say 1.7. Seven, <laughs> like a good God. Thank you. Oh, I was going to say, and, um, in human. Oh, and then um, Wolfman, should I put it there? He said, she who became the sun. That's it. It's yeah, that, I know that. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. But just that one that. scene, it's, like it's not something you want to be looking someone in the eye for when you're listening to an audio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, um, just speaking of the speed thing, you do have a point, though, and you've hit on something that I think it's a repetitive discourse in the booktube community, yeah. but um, the idea of numbers and the pressure to it's get your numbers number up because. Because, I mean, you know, yeah, so you always yeah. compare yourself to someone else. So you may be proud to be like, I read two or three books. And then you watch someone else's wrap up and you're like, here's the 15 books I read this month. So I think it is something that I have to check myself as well, because I do want to enjoy my books. <laughs> and so yeah. I thought I thought I was a fast reader until I met people like Esme, for example, who's just a, like a god amongst men. But uh, I have to check myself and... Be like, okay, you don't need to be a fast reader. <laughs> you know, it's okay to what slow I found down. So. Is especially particularly with BookTube, um, is the people that I see garner a lot of stuff really fast. Like you look at Library Viking, he's flown up there. He had a big Instagram following beforehand, but it's the it's the quality of the content. And I think with books as well, what I love is seeing people like Patrick as well. Um, is that unbridled passion that can't really be put through in, in written reviews. And I think like if someone reads five books, I think Patrick usually reads about like eight books in a month, which is, is very fast, but for people in that sphere is average, give or take. Like, um, but the quality of reviews that he gives and how much work that goes into them. And, and you can see that passion coming through. And I know even from an author's perspective, I love seeing that because that's where I get readers. Like if someone goes and says, this book was good, five stars, I really enjoyed it. It goes onto a long list of books that are great with five stars. But when someone reads this passionate review that kind of goes through all these things that I love and different aspects. And I find every time someone leaves reviews like that, I will get like little spikes because people are going, oh, that's exactly what I need right now. So it's always really interesting. I think it's particularly with BookTube, you, you'll see a lot of really passionate people in BookTube, which is something I love. No, and I think that goes back to the point of too, um, both in reading, reviewing, blogging, and in writing books as as authors for, for Ryan. I like 
I I totally totally respect and envy people who are really prolific, and whether full time part they can pump out all these books, quality books, you know, in a very short space of time. I find that now now in book three, I even I, I realize that even when I'm retired, God willing, in seven years when I can hopefully write full time and and write, you know, I still think I'm gonna write one book a year. Why? Because I do enjoy the process now. After getting through that second book, which was torturous, the whole imposter syndrome, oh my God, second book has got to be mm-hmm. blah, blah. Uh, third book, I'm actually enjoying it now. Oh man, and- I wish I hit your thunder there. I am, I, I'm having the most miserable time writing this third book right now. <laughs> well, like I said, pressure, right? And, and I'm sure, uh, maybe who knows, fourth book, I might feel it. But, but regardless, yeah. like uh, my point is, yeah, like, and when it comes to reading, I can have a month where I have a great reading month numbers wise. But when I, you know, quote unquote sit back and smell the roses and read like maybe four books and they were amazing i got to savor them and i'm like i could go back and reread that special little passage those are the months that i really treasure now so i'm really kind of maybe it's an age thing on the grave but i'm 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 slowing down and enjoy the roses and it, both reading and writing and i am just dying for sending my book off to beta readers so i can sit down and just read take two weeks and this is read. a this is a format that I usually hate <laughs> when on Twitter, like this phrasing, but, you know, let's normalize, you know, people say that. Um, so, <laughs> but I do think we should normalize the fact that there are also different types of books. So some books are going to be a quick read. Like I'm reading Legends and Lattes right now and the speed with which I can blow through that book. And I'm not trying to, it's, it's just, it's quick. But if I'm reading Moby Dick, for example, which I've been reading for months now, that book, you're not supposed to rush through a book like that. You're supposed to take your time with it. And I think I've seen a lot of big booktubers put those, not that they can't be in the same wrap up, but they're seen as the same. Like you should Mm -hmm. read the same amount of whatever genre you're reading in that month. And I I really think people need to recognize, not recognize, but be willing to accept that some books are just, you need to sit with them. And classics are a good example, depending on the classic. But, you know, like, yeah. I've, I've seen people who've read, just looking behind me, like The Way of Kings, and then seven other books, and I don't know how they manage that, but because that's a book that, it's over a thousand pages. You're supposed to- I'm not gonna lie, my, almost, my comparison with that would be, I actually read Way of Kings quite fast. And mm. I would almost look at it from a prose perspective in that Moby Dick is written with archaic prose and it's not as easy to read through it. And so my comparison will be, I would actually, from a modern perspective, think that Way of Kings is quite a quick read, not lengthwise, but for the length, it is quite a quick read. Whereas the That's direct comparison would be Malazan. So yeah. mm. Malazan's written with a, yeah. an almost encyclopedic kind of poetic prose where it's like, it takes it 10 seconds to realize what the fuck is happening whereas like brandon sanderson's prose is way people say workmanlike but i would say economic like, yes um his process his storytelling actually isn't very economic at all um but his his prose is quite economic like the way he he works with things and it's quite accessible in that you can read it you know what's happening you finish a sentence and the sentence made sense then you read stephen erickson you get two paragraphs in and you're like i where am I and what's my name? And yeah, Malazan. That's that's Malazan. I I yeah. and and you know and I said this before. Like and I, I'm glad you brought that up, right? That like 
you know, as an author, as someone who prides himself in write and writing immersive, you know, deep stuff, you know, I read novels and I was like, wow, okay, uh, I don't get that. I'm gonna have to go back and no, oh, I don't get that. Oh, where does this come from? Did I miss that? Uh, I and then you know, that is a humbling feeling as a as an author, especially if you go like, whoo. It depends in a way as well, though, because my only interest in Malazan comes from trying to understand how an author was successful with a style of book. It's trying to understand how an author released the first book that basically makes absolutely no fucking sense, is encyclopedic and really cryptic. And then the second book has a totally different cast of characters, but uses the same hard-to-read prose. Being successful with that, there has to be something that works, so I want to read it. But I read the first two pages of Gardens of the Moon and just threw it on the couch. Um, Because I just think at the minute... I don't have the headspace to do homework. And that's what Malazan is. Yeah. And while I'm writing, I just can't. I can't I don't have I just don't have that there for me. Well, but that so I might go back to it, but not now. But that book sold something like I think it was a I, like yeah, a copies of the money. I mean it was crazy what that book sold. And I have only read the first book and I'm I'm kind of pacing myself because even for me, and like I said, I pride myself with writing, you know. I hopefully kind of deep immersive stuff. And obviously people write more deeply immersive books than I do, but I, I was like, holy moly, right? I feel stupid right now because I I'm not. I think this is the key imposter syndrome for people who write in our genre. So like, it's like a tweet that I put up a while ago talking about the same thing. I'm saying, I look at Game of Thrones and stuff and I'm going, you know, why don't I have characters like Varys and Tyrion? Yeah. Why don't I have them? Why did I interact this way? I should have them. My story should be complex enough to have them. I should do this. And it kind of, it, it hits hard. Yeah, it does. It and does. You sit back and go, I'm telling a different story. But, like, but now, I, I, not... think, I think though slowly, I am starting to appreciate that, 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 dif- that differential that, hey, I write my book. This person wrote their book. Ryan wrote, write, wrote, write his, wrote his book. Zach wrote his book. They're all good. They're just different. And that's, it takes a while to get in that headspace. You're not quite there yet, especially when you first start as an author, because like, ooh, I have to be, you know, and especially, God forbid, when someone compares you to Ron Cahill, like John Gwynn, blah, 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 like those are those, you know, kind of death meals of, oh my God, well, I look up to John Gwynn and, you know, yep. I, I, and that's like, they're comparing, it's like, ooh, like that little feeling in the pit of your stomach, <laughs> you know, gets, gets like, you know, man, but I read, I read the first few chapters of Heroes by Joe Abercrombie, and I was reading it, and the entire time I was reading it, I was like, I can never be this good. And I've talked about it before, is that some people don't like Joe Abercrombie, and that's totally fine, and it's all different, but there's one thing that I think is inarguable with Joe Abercrombie, is that you know he is in, he's a master at telling two or three things at once, and having just this inalienable, incredible character voice. So you, you, you know what a character's whole backstory is by reading a page of their dialogue. Yeah. And that is a master of his craft. Yeah, he is. Like whether you like the book tone or not, that is just incredible. Yeah. And it took me a while. I sat there and I was like, fuck, I should just quit while I'm ahead. And then I realized after about 20 minutes of sitting there close to crying um, that my book is totally different to his. And just my entire writing style is totally different, like completely different. And now when I try to compare it to someone who's actually comparable, because I am not comparable to Joe Abercrombie, I compare it to like like Sanderson or Tolkien, and you realize that if you can put Sanderson, Tolkien, and Joe Abercrombie next to each other, they are incomparable. All three of them, massive, multi-million selling authors, 
their style is nowhere close, like not even in the same spectrum. So that's why I think it's it's important to look at that sometimes. You realize that it's just that's a different storyteller telling a different story in a different book. And to remember it's that you can love all three too. Yeah, it's also important to realize that readers we choose books with different narrative voices based on our mood, right? Yep. So uh, sometimes I'm in the mood for something prosy and gorgeous. So I'll have all of those authors on my shelf and I'll pick them up at different times. So there's a place for different ways it, of writing. It's there's a common no thing right that way. I think people forget, authors in particular forget, is that books aren't mutually exclusive and that it's not a competition. Yes, it's a competition to get number one, but your sales are not a competition. Like it actually isn't like not even directly, not even linked. Bingo. In fact, Bingo. if you can get your book close to someone else's, their sales bring yours up. Exactly. They exactly. won't tank them. Like exactly. it's one of those things. People read hundreds of books a year. Some people select it. They're not going to go, oh, well, I like this book. So can't have that one. And that's, if that was the case, you wouldn't see so many people go and hide my credit card because I just ordered 14 books. Yeah. Guilty. The Indo <laughs> is dangerous. Look, I haven't made my purchases for the Indo Chords yet, but the list of books I'm going to buy in bulk is Hayato's not ready. Let's just since I since I came here, I, I left all my books at home. I was saying to Steve before we started this because I had to because they're like a kilo each, and I only had thirty kilos to bring. I needed clothes, and um, so I had to start again when I came here. And every single book I have now is a special edition because I've been more meticulous in my buying, getting what I wanted, but I just waited. And so now I'm looking over there and I'm like, you're so pretty, but you know, I need to get to them. But I just kind of keep the exact same. And you could truly just, you know, totally let it get out of control. It's one of the few things I can, I consider myself a pretty disciplined person in general, but not when it comes to books. Like I honestly am wondering where is this going to stop? Because now- as a blogger, I get people sending me books. I'm so grateful for that. You know, honored that I get, you know, and of course I, I buy my books and I need um, to start blogging. <laughs> yeah, books? That's one advantage, that's for sure. It's been a great advantage. So um, but yeah, I I no no limit probably to how many books if I had my druthers that I would physically own. Can't talk to my wife's gonna hear that. She's gonna I can't let her let her hear that. But uh, you can use yeah. a PO box. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Smart thinking. You just push them through the window. <laughs> through the window. Oh, that idea. oh, how did this get here? Wow. Oops, it just, so... it just fell out of the mail, honey. It's so pretty. It's so pretty. It's fine. It's fine. Totally fine. So, Ryan, uh, we know that you were under the weather before you joined us, so we appreciate you. Uh, we don't want to take up too much of your night, but before we let you go, I wanted to ask you a question uh, that I like yeah. to ask guests is what was your first job i'm trying to think i think i worked in I'm trying to think what my first one was i think i worked at a bar yeah i worked at loads of places so i worked i worked at a bar no actually my first job was working on the desk of my dad's hairdressing salon that was my first job we paid me 50 euro for the day and i was standing there and take all the appointments do all this sort of stuff I went from there, I worked in a bar, I worked in a pharmacy, I worked in basically everything. I know that's only three or four different jobs, but I have <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't summarize everything. <laughs> I'm scared now because I just saw that come from Brandy. She's gonna she's gonna kick she's gonna, she's gonna kick me off because she says every time 
you to the Beijing episode. <laughs> I'm sorry, Randy. I'm sorry. She's gonna start oh, no. blaming me. I didn't other, realize you. Yeah. I'm another monitor. I have Amazon up every time we do the thing, and I'm like, add into the cart, add into the cart, and then yeah, so just. The only way. thing that gets me over here and it stops me. And actually, I don't have as many indie books. I have them on my Kindle, but I don't have as many indie books in physical form as I'd like because it's just so fucking expensive to get them here. Like, yes, so expensive. And like, I was getting some when I was in Ireland. Um, but like, even like when I wanted to get, say, Brandon Sanderson's Leatherbound Mistborn, all right? It was $100 per book, I think. So $200. And it was almost exactly the same for shipping. Hmm. Ooh. Yeah. that's my yeah. issue now like because indie yeah. books are more expensive and they're more expensive i explained loads of time because of the economy of scale and because we do print on demand and the per unit price is so much higher and um, like you literally have to charge like 20 dollars just to make two and um, so that's the reason they end up higher but like fuck me we try and buy them on book depository and other places it's like yeah i'm looking at 60 dollars for a hard it's not I that's why i i'm no. so thankful for ebooks because that's you why i said i'm making japan, lists, at least, don't you? i'm reading it now hmm? does Where amazon japan do like prime and like free delivery and stuff it does have prime it does have yeah. prime but so uh it, de- it re- yeah and it really depends on if they can like print it here like there's yeah, some that i think australia get printed and then printer. there's still a, hmm. a fee so uh, yeah. I really wanted to get Legacy of the Brightwash in hardback, but mm. I, the price, I think it was almost $85 for it. So I was when, when, yeah, all when you get sold. to the States, I'm sure Crystal will hook you up. She loves you so much. Oh, yeah. My poor parents, they have a whole other library in the States. So, you know, those leather bounds, it was the same price for me, Ryan. You know where they are? My parents' house. <laughs> I was like, I'm not missing this. <laughs> so my parents yeah, are lovely really and they're like, them. we'll it's, put it in the closet, you know? It's, it's so. not just that difference. Once you're shipping outside the States, it's absolutely, it's so hard to, to kind of grasp just how much it costs when you're shipping all the way over here. I think a lot of readers go between the UK and the States and it's still expensive, but nothing like getting over here. Because we don't even have Amazon here, so we, we Amazon Australia is the closest one, so it's even more. And yeah. that's fucking. Gross. I cannot imagine. Yeah, we have a business account with uh, Canada Post, so if we're shipping, you know, overseas, we do get somewhat of a discount. But yeah, it's still. But you know, you know, some people are worth it, and you know, some what instances is- are worth it. Like you said, Ryan, you, you shipped out all those those special arcs and you know you believe that it made an impact so now, one, one thing that i did is i switched all my stuff all my signed books over to the broken binding because they're lovely guys mm-hmm. and you know it gave access to people in the uk and i just after shipping out all of blood and fire on my own and all the fall number of copies on my own it was taking weeks out of my schedule and i was just kind of equating it being like look i'm probably gonna have to stop this eventually because like i don't actually earn that much money from the number of copies um but it's taking a long time out. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, the states scare me. I was going to say, don't don't yeah. bring that up to Ryan. He's yeah. not having yeah. it. No, I, I, love, I love, actually, I have loved America since I was a kid. I've always lived there. I spent a lot of time in America. I spent a lot of time in, in Pennsylvania and New York and stuff when I was younger, when I was like 17, 18. Um, but just now, it scares me. It's kind of one of those where you're kind of going, you just don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, I like that a little bit of security for the minute. Um, 99% of Americans that I've ever met have been like some of the most lovely people I've ever met in my entire life. But unfortunately, they're not the people who are making the rules at the minute. 
So that's that's the problem. Like, it's scary. <laughs> well, nowhere to go. I also want to shout out quickly that he won't do it himself because he's too modest. But I'm pretty sure Ryan. I'm pretty sure Ryan series is like one of the top sellers on Broken Binding because, uh, you know, every We've time. Sold I... a few copies. We've sold a few. Just a few. <laughs> We've sold a few. Yeah. <laughs> no, the so guys Broken Binding are, are, are incredible, and they, they work really, really hard. Yeah, and I think great. sometimes a lot of people forget. They're like. Oh, how come it takes so long to do this? Like they compare them to like a Luma crate in Goldsboro, which is what they're getting into. Yeah. But the reality is, and this is really cool for me. I know Steve wants to go home. We all want to go home. But this is um, <laughs> this is it was really cool for me. So the broken binding opened about they opened January, so January, so three months before I launched my first book. That was when they opened. All right, and Matt runs it himself, and he's hired new people in. But he ran it from his 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 dad's house, and like started off with like like a hundred pounds, and buying books and asking authors to sign them and sending them off, and and just built it massively since then. But it's still run as a home business, yeah. which is crazy, and it's all done like all by hand, all yeah. himself, which is just absolutely nuts. Um, and I think enough props doesn't get given for that. The amount of care and attention and detail that goes into it, the amount of special editions they're bringing out now. Um, I know some people will compare it to like, oh, you know, it's 30 pound for this and 30 pound for a Lumacrate. It's like, yeah, but like a Lumacrate are a massive global business. They're taking in tens of millions all the yeah. time and they get crazy amounts of books. Um, plus, I think what I love about the Broken Binding subscription is that it's very specific adult fantasy. So I think Illumicrate yes. stuff is top notch, but it, it varies so much. It varies, it does. Like I've seen yeah. it goes adult fantasy, YA, down to romantic fantasy, down to this, and it's great. But like if you're on a sub and you like, it's the reason I didn't get Brandon Sanderson's Year of Sanderson things because I love some of the archives, but I have no interest in Skyward. And um, mm -mm. I think that's what it's called, just because it's just not the genre I like usually. So I don't want to like buy a book that I don't know it's coming. With Brandon Sanderson in a series I don't really know I care about, but like anything Stormlight I'll buy. But it's that kind of thing. I think I like that Broken Binding have that. Like they, they have the Lacanius trilogy coming now, which is like has been done nowhere. Cannot wait. Yeah. So I cannot wait. Oh my God. Yeah, the Broken Binding sub is the first one that I actually was like, I have to get this because I was like, this like, is every, this is all my wheelhouse. You know, they yeah, market the really right? 30, pound, 30 pound a month is about twice what I pay on internet. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. But if someone said to you, I spent £30 this month on books, it's not a lot yeah. of books. Yeah. For people who buy books, it's not a lot of books. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I, at the minute, like, I'm not really buying a lot of books, but I just keep that rolling. And I get yeah. some great books coming out. And like I've chatted to Matt quite a lot, and uh, they have some seriously good books coming. Um, so it's a win-win. Yep. Shout out to Broken Binding. Honored to be there on their, their store. And I'm sure as Ryan said, yeah. he is too. So yeah. Anyways, I know we can't keep talking because we could keep going. So <laughs> it's if so you want to buy TL's merch, just ask him. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for sale right now, but uh, no, it's not for sale. One day it will be, but it's just for special certain. That's just your know, Tuesday attire? Yeah, you know, I'm slumming. <laughs> as soon as it's, as soon as it goes live, let me know. Mm -hmm. I'm in there. Yeah, I need, I need I some. If you want, for, for you folks, if you want one, just I'll. No, I want to pay you. I want to pay you. So let me I'll know. take a free one. Friends, that's not what it's about. Friends. <laughs> Get out of here, Ryan. <laughs> I've never said no to free shit. <laughs> you, you're still in the phase of in university. There's free pizza? I'm there. <laughs> right? Wait, yeah. you think that's a phase? 
That's not a phase, it's a lifestyle choice. Oh. <laughs> the amount of pens oh, I have taken in my life, it's free as well, whether it's great yet. Yeah. I'm fitting my bag. I am still guilty of taking the shampoos at hotels. Like I have a, I'm like, oh, okay. this is no, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You cannot, you, you can't call it a phase when people offer you free things and you take it. It's you different. You take things and offer it. I can use it later. I'm paying for that room, okay? When I travel, that little mini bottle, I've used it countless times. With that logic, you obviously take all the mini bar for free too. No, no, I don't and the do light that. They, they charge and you the batteries for that. They from the remote control. The light bulbs. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> lamp, lamp, lamp is a no-no. Light bulb. <laughs> oh, my oh, Sweet oh, Jesus man. Christ. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's All right. Thing. Well, uh, we should sign off. But before we do, we should yeah. probably get everybody's to shout out their socials, where to find them, and and all that fun stuff. As Steve is always good at reminding us. So, uh, Ryan, you want to tell us where, where people can find you? Yeah. I, this is like this has been like my favorite. This used to be like my worst, like least liked question, but now I love it because you know whenever talk about being successful. I found out like a few months ago that when you type my name into Google, I have like a Google profile and stuff that comes up with all my social media. So just type me into Google. That's really cool. Nice. I used to have a whole spiel where I was like, you know, anywhere, just don't follow me on the street or whatever. But like now I just say, yeah, Google. That's really cool. I was like, hey mom, hey mom, hey mom. I'm on Google. <laughs> <laughs> I love that for you. <laughs> it's so cool. I get so I get so like childlike about it. I'm like, but yeah. So yeah, just Google me. Nice. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> you want to go next year? I'm not. I'm not on that level yet. Yeah, you probably find PL Stewart, but still, um, www.plstewart.com is the website. I'm all over Twitter. You know, you find me on Twitter. And In fairness, uh, you're the first. You're the first result. Oh, well, that's a good thing. I guess I must yeah. be doing something. Website right. straight away. Goodreads, Twitter. Nice. I must do. That's because I hang with Steve, man. You hang with Steve, and you get you get popular really fast. So, no. hang with Steve and Taylor, and you know it's my it's the it's the company that I keep, right? So, the waxy, velvety voice of Steve talks books will yeah. sell anything. Yeah, yeah. Taylor, I've never heard of a voice described as waxy, but that kind of fits. <laughs> yeah, because it's I like that kind of too. smooth yeah. color. I think that's yeah. a good thing, right? Oh, it's, it's yeah. a good thing. Okay. It's a good thing. Yes. I think when it's combined with velvety. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's like the argument between like damp and moist. And I saw it a while ago. It's like people are like, no, seriously. So hear me out. Hear me out with this. Hear me out. Okay. So like the way the I did is, not need to hear those two words. Right hold now. on, hold on. Okay. So people try and equate them, but they're not equatable. All right. Nothing good is ever damp. Nothing. Okay. But you got a moist cake. That's fucking good. All right. And I heard a comedian once use the comparison. Please don't kill me. Okay. He was saying a moist vagina. All right. And his comparison was that could be perceived as good, but a damp vagina was never good. And I kind of went, that's horrific imagery, but I get what you're saying. Like, so moist can be good. Cake. Go with cake. We can edit that last part out, can't we? Uh, okay. <laughs> now you went in. You went in. Quickly right? go away from moist and damp. Uh, the last no, thing no, I'll no, do. So like, what was the comedian who said it initially? And uh, I just paraphrased. Give a quick shout out to uh, the wonderful Beth Tabler who 
who popped in earlier from before go blog technically for taylor steve and myself she's our, our fearless leader and uh you can also find our reviews and content on before we go blog and uh great blog site currently one of the sbfbo uh judges <laughs> of which taylor and i are on tv judges as well and, and yeah so um you know you'll find lots of interesting stuff that's not necessarily moist and damp but it's still it's still I good stuff believe, on there i, I kind of believe i said moist vagina on a on a live broadcast uh, and then i chose to use the phrasing in the comment below just with that oh goodness yeah. two of us together yeah. sorry yeah. steve so, <laughs> no that's okay <laughs> uh, so it all came from your lovely uh, yeah. voice so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. What are you, Taylor? Where can we find you? Uh, so just as, just, yeah, that's the most casual way you've ever said that, like you've given up. Um, yeah. Uh, you can find yeah. me, as PL said, um, on Before We Go blog, uh, also SPFBO Judge. So you can find my reviews for that there and on Goodreads. Uh, but if you want to interact with me, you know, more frequently than just reading reviews, YouTube, my channel is made between the pages, which you can see here. Uh, I'm also quite active on Twitter. Uh, I go in spurts, so. Do you have an Instagram? <laughs> I do, but it's not bookish. So ah, cool. like, I don't, ah, cool. I don't so mind I if people follow. I was trying to find follow. her earlier to tag you, and I just, I was like, fuck, I don't uh, want to tag PL and not find you. And I couldn't find Steve either. I was like, oh, look at a dickhead uh, who just prefers PL. <laughs> no, no, I don't mind if people follow me on Instagram, but it's not bookish, so the market's a bit different. Um, but, I, I've yeah. never had a social media except for Facebook that wasn't mm -hmm. business. I've never had a personal social media for Twitter or Instagram or anything else ever, mm -hmm. which is like it's yeah. it's interest. That's interesting, but I guess yeah. in a way you might have. It might be nice not to have a footprint like that, like a digital footprint in the future. So. Oh, like it's there. It's just all business stuff. Yeah. 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 So Steve, anyway, that's where you can find me. <laughs> where can we find the man himself, Steve Foxwell? So we want addresses, Steve. <laughs> yeah. So you can you can find me at uh, of course here on YouTube or pagetwin.com or the uh, the uh, before we go blog website. I'm also on Twitter and spurts, just like Taylor is, and I'm also on Vero uh, at that one mf'er that's me i may change it to that waxy voice or moist versus damp but i'm not sure yet i really i would love to hear you like narrate non-fiction books i i've actually read a few short stories on the podcast that it's yeah. it's really difficult and it takes me like two hours to narrate like a five minute short story mm. but you know it's it's fun. i'm never happy with it but it's fun that's, yeah, that's why I think I think our fiction would be really cool because you don't have to change voices or anything, and you kind of just just read. Just, just very, very dry and yeah, very dry. And moist. <laughs> Do those two maps? I don't know. Oh, now dry, Steve. moist, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that was no good. Okay. All right. As long as, as, long as it's not bad. This has been awesome, uh, Ryan. Thanks, uh, mainly thanks again for. You know, it's awesome for coming on. You're you're amazing. So thank you for joining yeah. us. It's been mm -hmm. fantastic having you here. I will never have you back. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely oh, not. Yeah. Well, thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks, everyone. <laughs> oh, God. Bye. Bye. <laughs>